Ora and welcome to Goodfellow Podcasts. This episode is kindly supported by the Auckland Faculty of the Royal New Zealand College of General Practitioners. I'm Dr. Louise Kugler and today I welcome Dr. Bronwyn Rosie to the podcast. Today we are discussing child neglect, how to address this important issue in primary care. Bronwyn is a general paediatrician and MedSAC trained doctor at Starship Children's Health. She has worked within the specialist team at Te Puaruruhau at ADHB since 2016. This team provides care for children and young people where there are concerns about abuse or neglect. Bronwyn is involved in ongoing research and education and is a member of the Child Protection Special Interest Group of the Paediatric Society of New Zealand. Kia ora Bronwyn and welcome to the podcast. Hi there, it's lovely to be here today. Child neglect is a common and potentially very dangerous form of abuse causing lasting damaging effects. I wonder if we could start with defining neglect. That's a really interesting place to start, Louise, because actually defining neglect is really hard. Now, most of us have an impression as to what neglect is, and it's essentially not providing care for a child in some way, shape or form. But to define it more specifically than that um, gets really, really tricky. Uh, And that's because what's acceptable in one time and place is perhaps not acceptable in another time and place. And so putting absolute measures in becomes um, almost impossible. Added to that, that the specifics of how you define neglect legally are also really tricky. Um, Some definitions include the concept of uh, parental blame. So, you know, the parent has to mean to neglect the child. And some definitions also include the concept of there being a bad outcome for the child. But in fact, you don't necessarily need either of those things to be present for a child to be neglected. From the child's point of view, they're being neglected, whether those are there or not. Whatever the parent meant to do or whatever the outcome was, Roman, is there a legal definition that we need to be aware of in New Zealand? In New Zealand, there's no specific legal definition of neglect at all. The closest we come to is in the Uranga Tamariki Act, where uh, there's a definition of not meeting a child's needs, uh, impacting their well-being. Uh, and there's also a, an area that the police use in the Crimes Act for really severe cases. It's a pretty high bar. Uh, and there has to be some element of, of a parent uh, meaning to do something wrong. And like I say, that's kind of reserved for, for really severe cases. All that aside, most people know what neglect is. It's basically people not looking after kids. It's a, it's a sin of omission rather than a sin of commission. Perfect. Well, thank you for clarifying that. So why do we need to worry about neglect? Is it important? And you mentioned outcomes. and I wonder about the child development outcomes and why it's important, especially in these first early years. Why are they so crucial and critical? Yeah, that's, again, a really good point. So, in fact, uh, neglect is probably the most damaging form of child abuse, which is why it's kind of included along with uh, abuse, because it has really significant impacts uh, across a child's uh, development. And I guess we're talking specifically here about emotional neglect or lack of attention and lack of attachment in a child's early years. 
And so uh, I guess it, it helps to, first of all, start to consider what normal child development is and what the tasks of development in those child's uh, first few years are. And that's to form a really strong attachment to their caregiver. And that gives the child a stable base from which to go out and explore the world and, and to expand their learning further. And another really key task for a child early on is to develop some kind of emotional and behavioural regulation. And so that is what a caregiver is providing a child with in those early years, a secure attachment base and uh, the ability to regulate themselves. If you've got a child where those things aren't occurring, they don't have a secure attachment base, and they're not provided with the skills to regulate themselves, you get impacts across that child's uh, life. And that is in uh, their behaviour. So children who are neglected uh, tend to have behavioural difficulties. Uh, It is in their learning. And that's uh, in terms of whether we might consider the child to be globally developmentally delayed, but also when they hit school, uh, they won't perform as well at school, either socially or in terms of just, you know, learning their nuts and bolts. And then by the time you reach adolescence, what you tend to see is kids who uh, fall into lots of risk-taking behaviours, you know, the, the stereotypical stealing cars and doing drugs and running wild. And that uh, is really frequently can be tied back to insecure attachment and neglect in, in the early years. Not always, of course. Um, none of these things are absolute, but they're certainly, um, they're certainly risk factors for it. So right back in those first couple of years, that's when the neurons are laid down to help us regulate our behaviour, to learn how to form stable and secure relationships. And so time invested there is crucial for the lifetime going forwards. Yeah. So, Bronwyn, you mentioned risk. I wonder if we can zoom in on that. So talking about particular populations who are at risk of neglect so that we have a higher index of suspicion when we have children in our rooms. What do we need to think about here? So I think uh, if we could divide that question into two parts, um, who's more at risk and who is affected more by the risk? So. Now, none of these things are absolute. It's really important to say that uh, children are neglected across socioeconomic groups, uh, across ethnic groups, across religious groups, you know, across society. So this is a problem that occurs everywhere. That said, there are groups where statistically children are more likely to be neglected. And those um, come more with the characteristics of their parents than than anything else. Uh, And none of these will surprise you. It's families uh, who have other stresses going on in their life. So families uh, where there's family violence occurring, families where there's drug and alcohol problems, families where there's mental health difficulties are more likely to have children who are neglected. Families who are struggling with poverty or other stresses uh, similarly are more likely to have children who are neglected. And I like to think of this almost as a bandwidth problem. If your bandwidth is used up by trying to get food on the table, or by coping with the fact that you've just been assaulted by your partner, you've got less bandwidth left over to invest in what you might otherwise want to do with your children. So look for other social risk factors, and you're more likely to find neglect in those circumstances. And we've already talked about who's more likely to be affected by neglect, and that's little children, that's young children. That's where the impact is likely to be the most damaging. I wonder about children who are neglected and then abuse. So two different topics, abuse we'll talk about another day, but 
does one lead to the other or not necessarily? Again, really good, good question. So yes and no is the answer to that. So if you took a population of children who are neglected, a higher proportion of those will also face other kinds of abuse than in the general population. But it's not a one-to-one. And neglect is the most common form of of abuse. So uh, there's lots of children out there who are neglected but not abused. However, if you are neglected, you are also more likely to be abused in other ways. So thinking about the last 20 months or so in New Zealand, we've had a pandemic happening. And I just wonder, have you seen more cases of neglect? thinking of those increased social stresses and pressures on families. It's been really interesting. So uh, as we, uh, internationally, as we saw the pandemic coming, there were lots of really dire predictions as to what it would do for families in terms of neglect and other forms of abuse, that they would uh, increase rapidly. And in fact, it hasn't to the extent that we expected, at least initially, and I'll explain that a little more. So in the first lockdown, We didn't see rapid increases in abuse and neglect uh, that we expected to. And I think that's due to two things. One, uh, in some circumstances, it's actually been protective for children to be at home with multi-generational or other family members in a way uh, that we didn't anticipate it's spread the risk because there's other people there to help and step in and, you know, when things get hard to to kind of help uh, with what's going on. So we certainly think that's uh, a factor. However, we also think there's a reporting bias because most abuse and neglect is reported or brought to attention by other professionals. That's uh, education professionals, um, school nurses, community nurses, general practitioners, and both they and we physically aren't seeing children as often. So there's not as many eyes on those children. So I think it's a combination of both of those things. Uh, What we have also found is that people coped, like with other aspects of the lockdown, and uh, people coped really well to start with, but as things have dragged on and on and on, uh, those stresses are accumulating, and we're beginning to see more instances of really quite severe abuse where things clearly have just fallen apart for a family. So thinking about screening in general practice, is there a screening tool that's validated for screening for neglect that we can use? I wish there was. I wish there was. Uh, So not an easily usable one at all. There is a tool that's used in the UK. It's called the Graded Care Profile. It's quite a detailed tool. Unfortunately, it's not readily available uh, in New Zealand. And so what I tend to use are really quite pragmatic uh, measures. So how many days has that kid turned up to school? How many clinic appointments have they not attended? How many prescriptions have not been filled? So things that are um, simple and that I can count and that I can then discuss quite factually with the family as as well. So uh, I wish there was a validated tool, uh, not easily available. I just rely on real common sense, practical things uh, that, that I can address overtly. So you may be coming to this, but I was thinking also about height and weight and yeah. things like that. Those very basic things that we should be doing in general practice, sometimes we don't get to that can give us clues to a child that's not being well fed. Yeah. So yeah. thinking about that, moving on to clues. So what sort of clues should we be looking for? That's right. So the thing that we were all taught in medical school is that children who were neglected wouldn't grow, wouldn't grow and wouldn't develop. And indeed, that is true. 
But I think we're beginning to understand that that's perhaps overstated and that it's often really only quite severe cases uh, where that is that's what occurs, a child doesn't grow or, or a child, uh, child's development drops off. While there are many causes for faltering growth, of which uh, neglect is only one, uh, and similarly, uh, there are many causes of developmental delay. Um, however, if I saw a child where there were lots and lots of social risk factors and the development just wasn't on track, particularly if their weight or height was dropping off, that would certainly raise my concerns and I'd be wanting to, to look in more detail. Uh, as to what was going on for that family. So if we're in our rooms, we have the beauty of re-seeing our patients often, and then we start to wonder about neglect. What do we do? Yeah, and again, I think I think it's really hard. I think it's really hard for general practitioners who only get a short period of time with a family. Uh, that's one of the things that makes it very difficult to address what is a, a really complex problem. However, as you say, you do have the beauty of often being able to see these families again. Uh, and so you can kind of check in on a repeated basis. So I think uh, the important things are, first of all, to overtly address it with a family. Generally, if the family is struggling uh, and you've noticed it, it's not going to be news to them if you bring it up. And so, uh, so we generally encourage uh, people to address that directly. Something like, it seems like things are really hard for you right now. Are there things that you're finding difficult? Are there ways that, uh, that we might be able to help? And I usually have a few suggestions that I could offer in mind for if I, if I know the family well. And those are often uh, supports that are not medical, but are more other NGOs that you know that are around. So Family Start is a really important one. Well Child Services are really important. And certainly in the ADHB area, uh, Stashit Community provides a well child service for children who are at high risk, and I'm sure that a similar arrangement is duplicated in other areas uh, across, across the country. So if you see a family that you think is at risk, as I'm sure you would anyway, try to think about other support services that might be able to, one, support the family, but two, provide extra eyes uh, on that child. That's probably the, the key thing. So address it and then look at other ways you can uh, support a family. So discussing the issue of neglect or bringing it up, you've suggested that we need to be quite matter-of-fact and, and yeah. bringing it up. Do you have any tips or clues as to how we can discuss it? How do we bring that conversation into our rooms? It's hard, and I'd like to be able to give you a magic answer that worked in all circumstances, uh, but um, that's not reality. However, the general principles are that um, honesty generally is the best policy. Like I say, what, uh, the fact that the family's finding things difficult is not news to them. So um, it's often naming the elephant in the room. Uh, trying to do it as compassionately and empathetically as I'm sure everyone would anyway, uh, as possible. Uh, and so, so acknowledging that it's hard. It's obviously hard for this family. If you know other things that are going on for this uh, caregiver, so for instance, they might have mental health struggles or difficulties with drug and alcohol, Again, I try and address those overtly. For instance, I'd say things like, you know, it looks like things are really difficult for you at the moment uh, and it must be hard. Uh, it must be hard for the kids as well. Are you finding that uh, your drinking is getting in the way of how you'd like to parent Johnny? Or, uh, but again, naming the elephant in the room, if you do it in a careful, considered and empathetic way, often goes much better uh, than just pretending uh, an issue is not there. There have been some good studies looking at whether this impacts your therapeutic relationship with a family. 
Because I think a lot of people worry that if you kind of bring up the hard stuff that the family will choose to go elsewhere. And in general, uh, families don't. Families in general prefer to stay uh, at a place that they're already comfortable. And it absolutely depends how you do it. If it's done in a non-judgmental and supportive way, particularly if you've got some um, suggestions or things that the family might find helpful, they generally stay. So thinking about urgency, because, you know, often when we get that idea that this child is perhaps being neglected, how urgently do we need to act? And do we need to refer into secondary care should we have these suspicions? Or is it something that we can manage? It depends on the circumstances. I like to think of neglect as like a chronic disease. So it tends to have a long, uh, relapsing, remitting course uh, with um, you know little crises and then things settle down and then uh, and, and on it goes. And similar to a chronic disease, its impacts are cumulative. So many of the individual instances of neglect you might see, like a prescription not picked up or one day they didn't make it to school, in and of themselves are unlikely to be doing lots of harm. It's the fact that this goes on and on and on. So lots of, lots of sub-threshold instances uh, will have often just as big an impact as one severe, uh, you know, one, one really dramatic incident. So it depends on the circumstances as to how urgently you need to act. I think it's really important that a long-term pattern is recognised uh, and some interventions are put in place. But it usually doesn't matter if that is not done right, right there. It's In many ways, it's better to plan how you're going to intervene and try and bring a family along uh, that than, you know, than a big crisis. That said, there are a couple of circumstances that, are, that would be a crisis. Uh, and that's if you've got a child uh, where there's been a particular harm they've come to as a result of neglect. So, for instance, they've uh, you know they've popped into the drugs that were lying on the table. Clearly, that's uh, that's a, a you know a crisis right now. Or a child that's really dehydrated uh, as an infant because they've not been fed. That's a crisis right now. So, in terms of what you would do in general practice, you address the, the crisis if there is one right now in a medical sense. But in terms of a longer term intervention for that family, you've got time to plan it and bring them along. So that's wonderful. That helps us clarify how quickly we need to act because, you know, often we do think, gosh, we need to send this child in now or we need to talk to someone now. But actually, that's not what you're saying. So what would the key role of us as a primary care physician or nurse practitioner, practice nurse be with this family? It sort of sounds like we're providing a, a coordinating type role, which we may be able to do, but is that how it should go? Yeah, that's a really good question. And it depends on your relationship with a specific family. I think often it is a coordinating role. So being aware of what other services are involved for that family, because often in terms of a secondary paediatric service, we're not necessarily aware of what's going on for the broader family. Uh, so the drug and alcohol service that the mum might be involved in or the family violence that might be going on. And a GP may be aware of the broader picture. So you're often quite well placed to perform that coordination role. Or if that's not possible for practical and time constraints, you're in a place to be able to share that information with other services. So coordination and information sharing, I think, are really key. Key roles for, for general practitioners. Other key roles are accessing or referring for support services where you can bring a family along with that. Those might be practical ones, uh, like family start. However, often things that uh, are more long-term might be parenting support or parenting education. 
So referring a family for triple P or incredible years, uh, other parenting support services like that. And then I think the kind of the ultimate backstop role that a GP plays is when you have become aware that a situation has been going on and on and on for weeks and months, it's to call time. It's to say, actually, I've followed and I've intervened and these are the things I've done and nothing's changed and I'm increasingly worried about this child and now my role is to refer on to secondary services. Uh, And those might either be secondary medical services, so like uh, discussing it with the team that I work for, or it may be that it's the time to involve child welfare services, so a discussion with Oranga Tamariki. So that's another key and uh, hopefully not a, not a, a, doesn't happen very often role for a general practitioner. Great. So, Bronwyn, you know, dealing with these difficult cases in the community can be stressful and upsetting for the primary care team. You know, listeners listening to this podcast, it may trigger something for them. So what can we do to look after ourselves if we have been triggered or we've had a case that's been particularly upsetting? What do we do then for ourselves and our teams? You're right. It's, it's a really hard area to practice in. Uh, and um, uh, I absolutely acknowledge that it's, it's really stressful for practitioners who are doing their utmost for a family can see the harm that child is coming to and often feel quite powerless to intervene in a meaningful way. And so in terms of uh, looking after yourself when you're managing a case like this, there's a number of things that I'd recommend. It's really uh, important that you've got someone to discuss the case with. In my um, setting, I have a formal supervisor that I discuss the issues that managing a case brings up. That might not be possible for a general practitioner, but I absolutely would encourage them to, to talk to a colleague or someone else, you know, so another trusted professional to overtly address the distress that brings up. So that's the first thing. Uh, don't hold this alone. You absolutely need to share the distress. That doesn't sound very good, but, uh, you know, sh- share the issues that, that it brings up for you. So that's the first thing. The second thing is um, a degree of acceptance. I, when I started working in this area, I uh, imagined that I would. Uh, come in as a saviour and, and uh, fix things for a lot of children. And it's, you know, and that, and that doesn't usually happen. So instead, I've come over time to a position where I think if I can do something that improves that child's life, that's something that would not have happened before. And sometimes those things are small. Sometimes it's a successful referral to a, uh, to a support service. Uh, sometimes it's uh, ensuring that a child's immunised. Sometimes it's, in, it's ensuring that they, uh, they get to their grommets appointment. So it's accepting what you can do uh, rather than what you want to do. The third thing is uh, general ways of, of well-being that I hope all of us are good at anyways. So uh, for me, it's exercise. Other people, it might be meditation. I make a really overt choice to practice those things when I'm dealing with a really stressful case. So um, those are things I'm sure that many general practitioners uh, do anyway to manage other aspects of their work. But uh, it's particularly important that you recognise that this will be distressing and that you, um, you plan in things to help you manage the stress that goes with it. That's great wisdom. Thank you for sharing that with us. So to conclude our podcast today, some take-home messages for our listeners, please, Bronwyn. So the first thing is neglect is really common and neglect is really under-recognised and 
neglect it has really significant consequences, uh, particularly if it occurs in those early years of life. It will impact across the spectrum. Having said that, uh, the next message is neglect is really hard to manage. It's long and slow and instances are sub-threshold, but the cumulative impacts are significant. So use the analogy of a chronic disease with relapsing and remitting. Uh, it's not easily managed by a single person, so um, absolutely involve other services and other professionals uh, to help you manage it. Uh, and lastly, GP's role can be really key. It's in coordinating services, it is in sharing information, it is in providing referrals, particularly for support agencies, and it's in calling time when things have gone on long enough. Um, there's one more thing I would like to mention that I should have mentioned earlier. On the Starship guidelines, there are really useful guidelines, uh, both for abuse and neglect generally, but more specifically for neglect in a medical setting. This is a very detailed guideline that's been developed for use between the police, Oranga Tamariki, and the DHBs. However, it's useful uh, to be used more broadly than that, not specifically so you like know when to call the police or anything, but just in terms of how you formulate the cases that you see in front of you. Is this a case of medical neglect that I'm looking at? What is the style of things that I might be able to do? So those guidelines are, can be quite practical and useful uh, on a day-to-day basis. Wonderful. Thank you for that, Bronwyn. If you're a New Zealand GP, you can claim CPD points and you'll find a list of resources, including the Starship Guidelines, on our website, goodfellowunit.org. Thank you for listening.